The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. How are you, sir? This is Peter. Oh. I can't believe I'm talking to you, Dr. Ray the Great. Oh, I don't know about that. I love listening to you. You have a personality just like my father. I don't think you should feel helpless. You are helpless. Doctor, I really appreciate that. That makes me feel a lot better. You be at peace, or else I'm going to yell at you. Trying to find a reason to speak to you. I think you're the best thing since plays bread. That Ray, he's something. Thank you so much for what you're doing for all the parents out there. They don't know what I can possibly do. I don't either. I'm getting my money worth, I think, at this phone call. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. Avoiding all known forms of psychobabble. Rated 96.27% psychobabble free. All radio programs. So we are not comfortable with where you're coming from. We can't go with that. I'm only sharing it because I'm feeling your pain. Nice to have you with me here on The Doctors. And this is E-Person Monday. E-person, that's right, deliberately chosen, E-person, noticed, diligently avoiding E-male, patriarchal, linguistically insensitive, E-male, oh, I know, I know, it's a homonym, it's not spelled, it's not spelled the same, sounds the same, not spelled the same, that's okay, that's close enough, in our prickly, hypervigilant, you're going to say something I don't like, culture, which is an absolute ingredient for misery. I've yielded. E-person. Either that or I am mocking our hypersensitivity. Nice to have you with me. Let's see where we're going before I get to your E-person's. Well, let's see, I had, I had a, well, all right, let me, let me talk about this. I've noticed that with the onset of social media and with the onset of immediate texting, notifications, everything, it's very difficult for people to ignore that. There's research that has come out. That has almost said, believe it or not, this is Pavlovian in its conditioning. In other words, because you've had so many notifications or text dings or whatever you have your text notice sent for or social media notice, you have learned that these are something to attend to, maybe even important, not necessarily urgent, but important in your mind. And so when you hear this, it's very difficult to resist it. It's like the dogs with Pavlov. He sounded a bell, then he fed them. And they salivated when they were getting fed. But then pretty soon, just the bell alone made him salivate. It's called classical conditioning. It's a pairing of a stimulus, a neutral stimulus that becomes a stimulus for a response. You like that uh, psychobabble talk? That's not psychobabble. That's behavior therapy. So given that, I've noticed that when you're talking, and I fall prey to this too. I, this is, I've noticed it because I do it. 
called projection. Oh, another psychobabble term. When you're talking to somebody, maybe the phone's in their pocket or it's typically on the table nearby. It can't be more than three feet away. It's against the law. And there's a notice comes in. Now they're going to look down. If you're in the middle of telling them something, no matter what you're telling them, no matter how serious it is, your dog died, your house burned down. You were in an accident that totaled your car. You're okay, but the car's gone. You're telling them this. And they hear, ding. Down their eyes go. Or the conversation is just a pleasant one. A text message comes in. Well, they got to check that text message. And it's occurred to me that that's kind of our way. And we don't intentionally mean to say that. And I'm guilty of this, too. My wife has corrected me a number of times. Well, what's a number of times? Anywhere between two and 670,000? It sends a message that right now, you're not as important as this. I've got something I need to attend to over and above my connection with you at this particular time. Oh, Dr. Ray, it doesn't mean that. Well, what does it mean? I'm telling you, I'm lumping myself in that same habit. I'm trying to break it. I truly am. I get all kinds of texts and dings while I'm doing this radio show. And I, and I can barely contain myself to the next break before I check it out. Now, I really try hard not to check it out while you're talking to me. I can interrupt me as I look down on it, but that's me. And you don't know I'm interrupting me. Well, you don't really know I'm interrupting you, but it's still rude. Because I need to give you my 110% attention. One of the factors in likability is attentiveness. If you know I'm interested in you and what you're telling me, you're more likely to like me. I'm more appealing to you. You see that as a positive quality. If, however, while you're speaking to me, two, three, four, five times, I momentarily turn from you, what's the message? You want me to text it to you? The message is, wait a minute, I got to see if this is more interesting than you are. It's really what it is. How many times have you turned to one of those messages and said, oh my gosh, I got to go. A dear relative of mine just got taken to the emergency room. How many, how many times? What you doing? Hey, are you busy tonight? Give me a text. Ah, I just let my dog out and he went to the bathroom. I let him back in. He had muddy feet, got him all over the kitchen floor. Much of the time, that's what they are. There's just the stuff of life, not urgency. So I got to break that habit. If I'm, if I'm talking to you, if I'm listening to you, I got to make you the focus of my attention and not my phone. It's an ugly habit. 
Okay, when we come back, I got some uh, some very nice emails that I want to grab here first before I head into talking about it all. Thank you. This is Dr. Ray. Are you through? No, I'm doing society a favor. So the doctor is in now. Don't you feel better? Brought to you by the nonprofit Seton Home Study. Hi, everybody. Dr. Ray Garendi here. You thinking about homeschooling? Seton Homeschooling, 40 years of experience, 17,000 current students, pre-K through high school. They provide the books, the lesson plans, the counselors, the grading services, the tests. That's right, pretty much everything. My wife and I use Seton, some of our children. Tell you this, two of them got perfect ACT scores in verbal. And overall, the Seton students scored more than 100 points above average on the SAT. Over 30% higher on English and reading on the ACT. It's a rigorous program. You want to give the very best to your kids? Trust me on this one. Go with Seton. It is a beautifully rigorous academic program. Go to seatonhome.org. That is seatonhome.org. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. I come from the other side of the tracks. See? My uncle used to have slot machines. Put one nickel in and it's emptied. And I brought him home in a bag. And my mother looked at me. Where did you get all that money? I said, I won him. You didn't win him. He fixed the machine. I didn't care if he fixed the machine or not. You know? EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. The doctor will see you now. Thanks for joining me here, Dr. Ray Garendi, Catholic Radio's Renaissance man. Somebody corrected me on an email once. It's Renaissance. It's not Renaissance. I said, well, wait a minute. I've won the Catholic Media's Humility Award so many times that they've changed it. Catholic Radio's Renaissance. Again, linguistically sensitive. All right, let me see where this... I, I told this gentleman today, he, he sent me this, and I, I was moved by it very much. Great idea, bringing Father Mitch and Father Larry on. Yeah, we uh, last season, we had Father Mitch Pacwa for two shows, co-hosting with me, Living Right with Dr. Ray, and Father Larry Richards, co-hosting with me on Living Right with Dr. Ray. We had a wonderful time. Those guys are both cut-ups and very, very knowledgeable, thoughtful, and dare I say, although this isn't my judgment, but I'm going to make it holy men. Then he said this. About the sad feelings that you and Father Larry covered. When I worked at a research hospital, 
when I felt down, and again, I'm assuming that he's talking about the day-to-day stuff that can pull down your mood. I went to the hospital cafeteria for lunch. I saw children dying of cancer. I saw Down's syndrome children who had love for their parents in their eyes, unlike any other type of love I had ever seen. I saw children and adults without extremities, folks in wheelchairs, folks blind, deaf, parents with grief for their dying children. I left, apologizing to God for being a spoiled son of God, taking all my blessings for granted. When my son, Andrew, my oldest son, was born with a cleft lip and palate, he was our first adopted child. We were new parents. We were young. Uh, let's see when 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 was when this was. Uh, I think World War One had just ended, and we were just ecstatic. We we thought we were going to be childless. The fact that we would get a young little baby boy. So excited. Well, Andrew was born with a complete cleft of the lip and palate. That's a, that's a pretty significant facial deformity if you will use that word and we were we were we were kind of hit hard emotionally like on, on one hand on one hand we were eagerly awaiting our first child but on the other we were told he has some complications that are going to need multiple surgeries so we spent a week at the hospital, children's hospital, learning how to feed him and learning all the the other things you needed to do to compensate for an opening in the roof of the mouth that goes up into the nasal cavity. That's pretty complicated there. We ate in children's hospital cafeteria. Yep, we had the same experience that this researcher had we saw we saw the kids we saw in fact stuff much more serious than what we contended with and it put it it put it into context for us so okay now interestingly enough I just said something I said that when texts come in, most of the time they're not urgent. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it, I just got a text that's urgent. <laughs> it's a text thread, and my wife said, he's on the air, <laughs> so he may not be able to respond until the break. So I will, I will do that. Okay. Thank you, sir, for that very touching email our 25 year old son is dating with intent to marry a female co-worker she has a speckled family background i haven't heard that one too often but 
<laughs> you know, there's certain words you use to describe something, and they're not used often, but they speak so clearly. A speckled family background. And she broke up with a previous two-year live-in situation to date our son. Although not cohabitating, they spend all their waking hours together. Our son encouraged her to complete RCIA, Right of Christian Initiative for Adults, in order to be confirmed, hoping to win our approval for this relationship. Right? He said, look, Mom, Dad, okay, I know she's had it rough. However, however, uh, I'm going to try to work on this, and hopefully she'll, she'll look at the Catholic faith, and she'll begin the process of becoming Catholic. Our son now wants us to accept this person into our family with hugs and smiles. We have resisted in hopes to discourage him from being yoked with someone of dubious spiritual maturity. A lot of prayer and counseling were invested in this, our youngest. Now, I don't know what they mean by counseling. I don't know if they're talking about, in fact, he was harder to raise, there was some kind of professional involvement, or whether, indeed, they just really worked hard at shaping his views of the faith. He now seems to be discarding it for his first and only serious relationship. Is it okay to keep her at arm's length while encouraging him to date others for discernment? I think it really comes down to how absolutely intent he is on this relationship being his one and only. You said first and only serious. So much of the time when someone has a first serious relationship, it is emotionally super charged and in so being it neglects looking at potential red flags I would suggest a couple of things you can approach this rather gently by saying what is it that you like about her so you started out that way what is what is the attraction what what is so much that you like about her this is assuming, of course, they're not having relations, which I don't think you can assume that. But, and if they are, then now you've really, you've really complicated the picture because there's going to be a physiological connection there. And then you can ask him, well, what is it that uh, makes you a little unsettled about the relationship? Now, he'll probably be a little more guarded in giving you answers to that because he doesn't want to give you any fuel to dislike her he knows you already don't like her he knows this now you say you've resisted and you've you've kept her at arm's length that's probably kind of a losing position if you say but 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 if we accept her with hugs and smiles like he wants us to then that's like saying we condone what he's doing we approve of what he's doing we think it's good for him and therefore we're going to make it easy for him to have a wonderful connection with her even though we don't think it's wonderful at all that doesn't necessarily follow you can be pleasant and kind to someone given that he's 25 
and in your opinion, he's making a bad move. However, you've talked with him about it, and he doesn't agree. You've attempted to guide him about this, and he doesn't agree. Once that becomes clear, that what you've brought up, what you've discussed with him, is not, is not slowing him down in any way in this relationship. Maybe you could even ask him, well, are you planning to marry her? And if he says yes, when? And then he says, next May. Would you be willing to hold it off another year just to get to know her further? And you can't go wrong by taking another year to get to know somebody. Now, if he agrees, then hopefully he will start to see some of these things. If not, if he's bound and determined this is the one mom and dad, then you are in a position to accept her. You have to. You have to warmly welcome her. You have to recognize that he's chosen her as the one he wants to be with. Even though you're thinking to yourself, this relationship will break after two years and we'll have a divorced son. That may be. But your loving and accepting her is not going to make that any less or any more likely. Whatever happens in the future in that relationship is going to depend upon how it unfolds and how her personality comes to light, given that she's had a rough childhood. I see an awful lot of this in marriage counseling. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say 60, 70, 80% of the time. Spouses who are struggling, it comes out that this person had a, a rough history, a checkered history, a as, as you put it, a speckled history. Kind of sounds like an Easter egg, doesn't it? Uh, and and as a result, their personality was not mature. There were a lot of quirks. There were a lot of self-centered habits in their personality. And they, they really were not given a moral, stable upbringing. So now they are married. They've been married for 6, 8, 10, 12 years. And their personality is asserting itself in all of the give and take of marriage. Not uncommon. Now, that doesn't mean all of them are like this. Not at all. I mean, obviously, a good faith-filled conversion can do wonders in changing who someone is, or at least changing the direction of who they are. So, to summarize it again, Yes, to the degree you're allowed to explore with him what it is, pro and con, about his relationship with this woman, do so. If it becomes so clear that he's just Google-eyed, that's a psychological term, by the way, over her, and you're thinking, he's not seeing any of the downsides, he's not seeing any of the risk, what is this, how do we make him? Because he's minimalizing them, you know that then you're in a position to have to accept her with warmth. Because if you don't, you're going to lose your son. See that all the time. When you keep her at arm's length, he goes with her and he stays at arm's length. And she says, your parents don't like me. I don't like going over there. And he'll acquiesce to her because that's who he's with. So the one thing you don't want to do 
is to make her feel completely unwelcome with you because you'll see her less and you'll see him less. All righty. The music is about ready to start. I'm Dr. Ray Garendi. The program, The Doctor is In, and this is the variant of The Doctor is In, E-Person Monday. There's their music. Take it away. with Teresa Tomio. So when you see these different media outlets working directly in conjunction or conclusion with the government to suppress stories, what does that say to us about the reliability or lack thereof of the secular media? And then this is combined with a report that came out, a survey that was done on media executives. They interviewed 75 media leaders around the country, and they're saying we're done with objectivity. Well, that's not exactly a news flash. But the fact that they're claiming that objectivity is just no longer necessary and we are elitists, we know better, and this is what we're going to do, is frightening. And this is one of the reasons that we stress the importance of having outlets such as The Register and EW10 News Nightly and The World Over and Catholic News Agency and EW10 News In Depth. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. The prayer of the hour of Jesus is an extraordinary prayer, states the Catholic Catechism. It is the longest prayer recorded in the Gospels that Jesus offers to his Father. He prays it as he is facing the hour of his passion. The Catechism claims the prayer embraces the whole economy of creation and salvation, as well as Jesus' death and resurrection. It always remains his own prayer, just as his Passover, once for all, remains always present in the liturgy of his church. In this paschal and sacrificial prayer, also known as Jesus' priestly prayer, everything is concisely reviewed and summarized in Christ. God and the world, the word and the flesh, eternal life and time, the love that hands itself over, and the sin that betrays it. Jesus fulfilled the work of the Father completely. His prayer, like his sacrifice, extends until the end of time. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Thank you so much for joining me here on The Doctor Is In. I'm Dr. Ray Garendi, hitting on six of eight cerebral cylinders. I got a new book coming out. Uh, yeah, people ask you, you got a new book coming out. I do. Uh, it's on reverse psychology. Uh, don't buy it. Okay, there you go. Uh, Dr. Ray, listening to your radio monologue the other day, I wanted to add this as a professional portrayer of Santa Claus. <laughs> I see the greed that parents have instilled either inadvertently or advertently in their offsprings. 
I get huge lists, age-inappropriate requests, iPhone 15 from a six-year-old, and so on. Not all children. I do get those requests for happiness, a joyous family gathering. My request as a professional portrayer of Santa Claus to parents is, please, and that's all in caps, you can't see that, do not make more than one gift, and not the most expensive gift, be from Santa. Oh, okay. So he's saying, um, let the kids ask for one thing when they visit Santa, and not a used Corvette. Children from less fortunate families often wonder, as I see it, why Santa is more generous with the wealthy children. And then he signed it, Santa Rex. Interesting. I remember I used to, this was many, many years ago. Oh, shoot, I think I was, I think I was either in high school or college. I don't even know if they had invented toys yet back then. But I worked as a volunteer with Toys for Tots. One of the things that we noticed, and I, I think since then, I'm not sure what the status of Toys for Tots is. I think for the most part it's been discontinued. One of the things that we, we got an awful lot when the kids came in. I already have one of those. That's not a cool toy at all. There there wasn't necessarily an excitement for the kids bereft of toys seeing their options. It was very uh, pick and choosy. And their view of it was, yeah, that's that's lame. I don't want that. That's so last week. Yeah, but the big one I always heard was, I already have one of those. So I, I got to wondering at some point, you know, what uh, what was <laughs> what was going on with, with those toys. All right, let me see if I got any more here that I want to look at, and then I'm going to go to the, let's see this one here. Oh, oh, this is sweet. Hi, Dr. Ray, my name is Lily. I'm from South Dakota and I am 12 years old. I love watching your show. She's referring to the TV show. I mean, I suppose some people watch the radio show. That'd be tough. I watch it with my mom sometimes. The other day I was watching when I saw a commercial that said I could email you. Well, she did. So I have a question to ask you. My dog recently passed away this summer. I was learning at CCD, my Catholic Church middle school class, that animals don't have souls. Well, okay, I'll address that in a second. And that means they don't go to heaven. But I'm struggling with this, because why would God make something so great in our lives, such as our beloved pets, and then take them away for us when they die? I know God wants us to be completely and fully happy in heaven, so that's why I want to believe that we will see our pets when we get to heaven someday. What do you think? Thank you, Lily. And I briefly wrote her, and I said, Lily, that's my granddaughter's name. A couple of things here, Lily. One, 
the church doesn't teach either way whether there will be our pets in heaven or not, whether there will be animals in heaven or not. Perhaps the ones that would join us in heaven will be the ones we love the most. Maybe not our goldfish or the hamster or the bow constrictor, but our cat. Although, I don't know, I guess people can like cats, I suppose. So the church doesn't know, really, how God handles this. There are those who have speculated, yeah, 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 something we care for and love that much. God's going to be very gracious and concerned about our attachment to our beloved pets, and therefore they'll be with us. But that raises the question, which ones? I mean, we've had a number of dogs. A couple of them are quite unpleasant. (laughs) I don't know if I wanted to be in heaven. I don't know if they're there with me if it would be heaven. And then a couple of them, I cried when they put Tank down. I did. I pulled some nose hair so I would look emotional. I did. I was there holding his paw. I'm his paw, you know. So given that, we don't know. But here's what we do know, Lily. The Lord says we will be completely happy. How he will do that, for example, if our pets aren't there, is his doing. We won't say to God, I can't be completely happy if my dog's not here with me. That won't be the case. We will be completely happy. Which, I'm going to raise a bigger question when you're 12 and you sound like you're pretty mature for your age. What if there are people there, oh, I'm sorry, not there that we loved in our life? What about that? Can we be totally happy if someone that we were close to and loved in our lives is not there? Obviously, God has a way around that. He's got a way we don't know anything about to make us completely fulfilled, even though perhaps some of the people we care about aren't there. Now, I believe you're 12, and I believe you've probably thought about that. It's a short step from pets to people. So given that, you say, I want to believe that we will see our pets when we get to heaven someday. Well, go ahead, Lily. Go ahead. If that's a comforting belief for you, go ahead. And if it happens, it will be your belief made real. And if it doesn't happen, you will still be completely and totally happy and content because you will be with God that will overshadow every other connection you ever had on earth. Good question. Lily, thank you so much for your delightful letter. Now, I'm looking at this clock again once more. What I typically do is I I will write people and I will say, I addressed your e-person on an upcoming e-person Monday. So, this is Dr. Ray. Thank you.
Living the Beatitudes with Father Bjorn. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Mother Angelica said that the essence of evangelization is to tell everyone that Jesus loves you. Matt Frad says that it is one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. Are we so full of the things of the world that we can't hear or receive the gifts that God is giving to us? In Isaiah, we hear, The Lord delights in you. I've called you by name. You are mine. You are precious in my eyes, and I love you. Well, we often don't want to hear that, and in the Gospel of Matthew, it hits us over the head even more that we're invited to be part of the kingdom of God. Jesus is king, and he's come to establish his kingdom. The Beatitudes are the eight roads to God. They lead us with his gifts of the Holy Spirit to become the new person in Christ who will find happiness and bring that happiness to others. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For more about the Beatitudes, visit EWTNRC.com. In a Facebook world, we can multiply virtual friends, and yet psychologists and sociologists tell us we have fewer and fewer actual friends. This is not good. We're made for friendship. Friendship with God, first of all, but secondarily, friendship with other human beings. Jesus calls his apostles friends. And when he faces his greatest suffering, he asks his inner circle of friends to come and pray with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. They come, but they fall asleep. Jesus isn't crushed when his friends fail to live up to his expectations. He doesn't withhold his love from them. He doesn't cast them away. Nor does he suffer their neglect silently. He confronts them. Couldn't you have prayed with me for an hour? Then he moves on to do the will of his Father in heaven. When friends let us down, as they will, we should follow the example of Jesus, lovingly confront them, but remember that they can never substitute for God, who stands ready as our ultimate friend. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Thinking at the speed of thought. Warp Factor 4, Mr. Sulu. Very few of you remember those words from Captain Kirk to Sulu, who manned, oh, can you say manned, who personed the bridge? This is Dr. Ray Garendi, the program The Doctor is in, Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time. This is the Monday variant of the program, E-Person Monday. I had to do something with the many, many E-Persons that we get here on the program, and we get them some through the radio, a big bulk of them come through the TV show because my producer makes a little recording on the TV show that we would love to hear from you. And so we do. By the way, a quick message. This is uh, something that's just recently happened. Uh, my son has begun to manage my <clears throat> Instagram account. I didn't have an Instagram account up until about a few months back. So we are trying to put forth little bits and pieces of hopeful, helpful ideas and advice I was going to say wisdom, but maybe they don't reach that level. About life, about marriage, about kids, about faith, things that matter. So uh, the e the, uh, e the email account is at dra.com. The Facebook account, of course, has been there for quite a while. And now the Instagram, which is the short stuff, I guess. That's what they tell me anyway. So it's there. You should be interested. Dr. Ray, during my mother's final months... I traveled several times a week by car to help with her care. Those trips gave me the opportunity to listen to your radio program on Sirius Radio. It's channel 130. I just want to say one thing here, Mary. 
Um, is that the only time you listened? Just traveling back and forth? Just, just saying. A few months back, you gave an explanation of dreams, remarking that many dreams are a variation of events happening in our lives. It's true. It's the stuff that concerns you. It's a hodgepodge mix, a pastiche. I'm just about to tell you what I'm flinging around these words from word genius that I study of events, people, concerns, and, and they're just mixed up. Dreams just float all over the place. But commonly, you have repeating dreams of things that could be stressors for you. Then you recounted a recurrent dream that you have. That's when I gripped the steering wheel. (laughs) You described a dream in which you are very anxious because you are not prepared for or have had poor attendance in a class. That dream was identical to one of my two recurring dreams. I felt as if I had my doppelganger of the dream world. <laughs> very Ed. Thank you. That's, that's very sweet. I now have another recurring dream. It has taken over as I've moved away from college. Way back. <clears throat> It has taken over. This dream has taken over. I coached men's softball for about, let me see, let me do the math here, uh, four decades. Long time. Long. I started started very young, and because I was the only one who would take it, and I stayed with it. And I'm telling you, you got to be a shrink to coach an adult team of any kind, especially nowadays. Just gave it up a couple years ago. Still play, but I gave up the coaching. I now have, in addition to my fading college lack of preparation for the test dream, I now have a tournament that I'm playing in where I don't have enough players. They're not showing up. It's close to game time and nobody's there. Or we change fields and I don't know where this field is. I can't find it and I know they can't find it. Or there's a guy out there in right center that I don't know who he is, but, but he's, he's there. In essence, I have this dream that this whole important softball game is unraveling and it's a, bits and pieces of the natural complications that any coach of any adult team makes. So that's my other recurrent dream. I would wonder... I would wonder what her other recurrent dream is. Hmm. By the way, you know that one of the myths of dreams is when you're falling, if you hit the ground, you're dead. That's a myth. It's a myth. It's a total myth. You don't hit the... You don't... You usually... You know what you usually do? You usually leap awake is what you do. There's something in you that just... <gasps> and you, and you <clears throat> are immediately conscious. My nephew, who is 31, refuses to work. There's a lot of that going around these days. And I've often wondered, why is it that so many people can work so little and still sustain themselves? How do they do that? I know how they do it. They get all kinds of stuff given to them from the government or from people who sustain them. 
He refuses to work and to take care of himself and would rather mooch off others or be homeless. He suffered from anxiety and insists that working enough hours per week to earn enough pay to pay rent gives him anxiety attacks. All right, so in other words, you see what they're saying? In other words, if I have to work any more hours than I want to work or any more hours at all, I get anxious. And of course, one of the entrapments of so much of our heavy, heavy, heavy mental disorder over-reliant society is that, okay, well, now he gets anxious, therefore he can't work. And because he's not being lazy, he has anxious. All right. So he works 12 to 15 hours per week, and he buys pot, but will not care for himself. His other aunt, my sister, has tried to help him and has ended up being burned. Now, I okay, so, so I don't know where his mother is in all this. I care for our elderly mother, and I do not have the means nor the inclination to help him. He was raised to understand that there is suffering in this world, but he seems determined to avoid stress at any level. I'm concerned for his safety as he is homeless and not the sharpest tool in the shed, okay? How much of that is due to the recurrent pot smoking because it really can't dull you. There's all kinds of research coming in, and these these states that have all made it legal, there's so much research coming in that chronic prolonged pot use really takes its toll on motivation, and in fact, it can lead to serious psychosis in those so predisposed at some level. Plus, you don't know what's in the pot anymore. How much do we offer to help? Where do we set the boundary? I think that really comes down to uh, what is he willing to cooperate? I would imagine that when you give him money, you're not going to get it back. So if you do give him money, no, you're not going to get it back. I also would imagine that he may prefer to live on the streets. Now, I don't know how much he'll prefer that when he's 40, but right now he's 31. He may think he's kind of living the free life, not too many demands. You kind of have to decide in the sense of what am I going to do here and and what I do do, is that going to help him or hurt him? You say, well, I don't know if he's capable because he has anxiety. Well, the question becomes... What's the nature of this anxiety? How intense is it? And could he work through it? Does he have those capabilities? Further, you can give him a lot of resources. You can tell him where the shelters are, where the food pantries are, where the meals are. There's a lot of stuff. And I imagine in a lot of ways that's what he's doing. However, he chooses to spend his money on pot. So it really does come down to this question. Does he want to live better and more responsibly or not? If it's not, then I would think that you're well within your rights and even your Christian charity to say, well, he's made his decision. Okay. Now, that's not to say if he stops by your house and you sit and chat with him, you offer him some food, something to drink, you can certainly do that, but 
in terms of any kind of general sustenance of his lifestyle, the question becomes, am I helping or hurting? Many people wrestle with this. They think that their Christian charity obliges them to no matter what to keep sustaining someone who is not only living incredibly irresponsibly, but refuses to take advantage of the things available to help them live better. They want a certain kind of help from either relatives or other people in their lives, but they don't want to do anything personally to make it better. And at some point, you say to yourself, okay, that is the direction he has chosen. The only argument could come from how free is his choice. And that I don't know. Only you know that. This is Dr. Ray. Thank you. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Very nice to have you with me. This is Dr. Ray Garendi looking at the clock there, which is really the tyrant. And I, I wouldn't even say it's a benign tyrant. It's a tyrant. It gives no flexibility. And I'm looking at the stack of emails still sitting in front of me. Oh, gosh. And it doesn't look like there's any one that I can just quickly head through here. So I will put that aside and share with you Something that I found in a religious periodical that I get often. 
I think about, this was a person making a comment on an article. I think about my friend's warning. This is the warning. This is the quote. And I'll dissect it for us. I had to dissect it for me. Life is hard. Then you die. Then it gets harder still. Unless you died before you died. Now, there may be some of you going, huh? What? Let me read it again. We will parse it. Life is hard, then you die. Then it gets harder still, unless you died before you died. Meaning, if you died to yourself. As our Lord said, you must die to yourself. Before you die. In other words, as you live, you die to yourself. You embrace him. If you don't, then you risk it being even more unpleasant than you thought it was when you were alive on this earth. Now, granted, that's a pretty big generalization. I mean, our church teaches that even people who don't know Christ or even people who perhaps don't even know God will be held accountable for what they know, for what they, what they would seek. So, so, in fact, they didn't die to themselves and embrace Christ. But he's making a generalization. Life, life is hard. It is. It's, much, it's, in many respects, much more comfortable than it's ever been in the history of the human condition. Most people had to struggle to survive. But then it gets harder still after you die unless, in other words, your, your punishment could be very severe, and that word right there doesn't even capture it, unless you died to yourself before you died. Still one of the better quotes that, uh, that I've seen. In my book, Jesus the Master Psychologist, I, I talk about, it's, a very, it's the very last thing that I talk about. I take Jesus' words for better living, and then I look to see where, they, where modern psychology cooperates with them and collides with them. And obviously, when modern psychology collides with the God-man, psychology better take a look at itself. One of the things that I said as a psychologist that most perplexes me is people who move toward the end of their lives and still do not ponder the infinitely important question, what's it all about here, Alfie, and seek God. Thanks for joining me here on The Doctor Is In on this E-Person Money. I thank Andrew Kruchek, my producer man, heading for Birmingham. Do some stuff down there. So next time you hear me, I'll be broadcasting from in Birmingham. Walk with God. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.